You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement. Or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. It's the final Get Ready for the Future show of September 2023. And once again, answering your questions on the show. Welcome in as we help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. My name is Scott Inman, along with me, John Shrewsbury, today. John, you saddled up. You ready for some good questions today? I am am ready, primed, and ready to go. Yep. We're not even going to talk about the government shutdown, so we'll just leave that for the fastest four minutes. I know that's on people's minds uh, if you want to get some more information about that, we talked about it in our fastest four minutes in finance. We also did a little reel. I'm learning how to do reels these days. Oh, really? 60 seconds, right, on YouTube. I did one of those as well. But that is a big topic of discussion. It is. But how big of a deal is it to your life, your daily life, and to your investments? We're going to talk about it on this week's Fastest Four. So if you want to sign up to get that, you can text the word FAST to 501-381-5228. Get it delivered to your email inbox every Friday morning. We're talking all things finance, all things markets, investments, retirement, uh, and this week it's about the government shutdown. So we'll save the fastest four for that. Yeah, I would just make one uh, quick commentary. If you're one of those folks that uh, you know lives and dies by what happens day-to-day in the market and you got to bob and weave and all that type of thing, this might be important to you. Mm-hmm. But if you are a regular investor, I'll call it, and somebody that has a long-term perspective. We've been there. We've done this before. <laughs> seen, got the t-shirt, seen the show. Yeah. And, and so I don't know that it really means that much to our average client because we just don't have day trader clients and things of that nature. We have really people that have much more of a long-term perspective. Yeah. True financial independence is a slow cook, right? You got to leave it in there, look at it at the long-term. And this is uh, happened in the past, as John has already mentioned. In fact, it's probably something we should expect by now uh, to go on in Washington as a squabble over funding. Uh, but anyway, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, Fastest Four Minutes in Finance, if you're listening on the radio side uh, of the Get Ready for the Future show, that's coming your way later in the hour as well. So uh, don't want to leave out a radio audience there. Let's dive into our questions. Got some good ones, and I feel like they kind of intermingle today. I think they they're going to kind of connect. Yeah. Bonnie from Jonesboro writes, She's first up. I'm on the threshold of reaching the Roth IRA contribution limit. Should I fully fund my traditional 401k, then stack cash and make a Roth IRA contribution after the new year? Bonnie, thanks for your question. And congratulations to you for socking that kind of money away. Uh, The Roth IRA is a great place to put uh, retirement savings because of the features of it. You put after-tax money into it. And on the back end, it grows tax-deferred and is withdrawn tax-free in retirement. And I think it's important to have as much tax-free retirement income as possible. If we could do it all tax-free, John, that'd be the best thing. But you don't want to leave money on the table from your employer. No, you don't. You definitely don't want to do that. But we do love the Roth IRA. Uh, just this past week, I was in Hot Springs uh, for a social security workshop that we had over there with uh, Joel and Lexi Newburn, our, our team over in Hot Springs. And we were talking about the Roth IRA and the benefits on social security taxation that the Roth IRA gives you because of how the government calculates your tax on social security. 
So Roth IRA is something that you definitely want to do. But in uh, Bonnie's particular case, it, it just kind of strikes us that this is probably either someone who has a substantial amount of income or uh, they're, they're living on a tight budget or whatever the case may be. But mm-hmm. but I think that, that there's a real key to the sequence yeah. of contributions in this, Scott. And I think that the first thing that you want to do in that sequence is to max out the employer match, as you had alluded to. Maxing out the employer match means you don't don't leave any of their money on the table. You get as much of that as you possibly can. Once you have maxed out the corporate match, so let's say that that your corporation that you work for matches 50 cents on the dollar up to 6% of your salary. So if you contribute 6%, you're going to get the maximum contribution because they're not going to match anything in that 1%. If you go to 7%, they're not going to match that 1%, but they will match 50 cents on the dollar up to the first six. So what we would tell someone like Bonnie to do is be sure you're getting all of that corporate match first and then contribute to the Roth IRA. Now, the Roth IRA, uh, there are some uh, limits to that and Mm -hmm. income limits to that as well. Right. Yep. So if you uh, are a married filing or if you're married and you file your tax return jointly, there is an income limit for you to be eligible to go into the front end of that Roth IRA. And it's in the $240,000 income range. Most Arkansans would be below that level. Right. And you would still be able to participate in the Roth 401k if that's an option. And that's something that we probably should kind of walk through as well. We did this on a show or two ago. In fact, the difference between a Roth 401k and a regular Roth IRA. So if you break that down, you mentioned the contribution limits. In a 401k employer-sponsored plan, and this would include traditional 401k or a Roth 401k, it doesn't matter. The combined amount you can get in is $22,500 on an annual basis unless you are 50 or older. And that's defined as if you turn 50 this year, then you are eligible for a contribution catch-up that will send you to $30,000 total that can go into a traditional 401k or a Roth 401k, or both. But the combined total can't go over either twenty two five if you're under 50 or $30,000 if you're 50 or older. The Roth or traditional IRA is separate from that. It's outside that wrapper. It's not an employer-sponsored plan. You're doing this on your own. And that limit is $6,500 annually or an additional $1,000 catch-up if you're 50 or older, which it makes it $7,500 and that goes in uh, any sequence as well. It's combined, right? It, would go, it can go all go in the traditional. It can all go in the Roth, or you can split it if you wanted to, but that's the combined contribution limit. So if you look at those totals, John, when you think about Bonnie really hammering her retirement savings, she's doing a great job if she has that kind of uh, margin in her life, whether it's living on a tight budget or because she has higher income. But if you're under 50, you could get $29,000 in combined from those two instruments. Right. Or if you're 50 plus, $37,500. So there's a great opportunity there for you to run hard at retirement no matter what your age. So let's be clear on the sequence. Mm-hmm. 401k, matching contribution first. You want to do that. Then switch to the Roth. Put as much money as you can in the Roth. Be it $6,500, $7,500, depending on your age. And then go back to the 401k to finish out your maximization of the 401k plan. Scott, I think it's really important that uh, anything beyond that, if if you're fortunate enough to be able to save more than 
that uh, 29,000 or 37.5, whatever the case may be, if you're able to do that, then you want to go into some after-tax investments to keep building up that after-tax money for retirement. Yeah, you you are very blessed if you can do that because, you know, we mentioned the 37.5 if you're 50 and older, that's per person, right? So if it's a married couple, you can get more than $70,000 a year just into those uh, retirement accounts. And I do think it's worth pointing out before we leave this question too, uh, the, the tax question. You know, we talk about the tax features of a Roth IRA versus the traditional 401k, which is going to go in pre-tax and then be taxed at ordinary income tax rates in on the retirement side. If Bonnie is a higher earner, it is worth considering taxes now versus taxes later, right? So th- yeah. this, this is why balancing, obviously you don't want to give up the employer match, but also having a balance, being able to save on taxes now versus later. Because let's say you're, Bonnie's married and she uh, has a husband and they make $200,000 annually right now. In, in that's not too incredibly unheard of, right? If you right. both make a six-figure job, your federal tax bracket's going to land you somewhere around 24%, right? right. In, under current tax rates. But in retirement, typically people are going to live on less. Your Social Security benefits are going to be a component of that income which is not fully taxed, only 85 up to 85% of the benefit is taxable. So if let's say they're going to live on $120,000 in retirement, you have a standard deduction of $27,700, and now you have an additional deduction if you're 65. So in retirement, you could easily stay in a 12% tax bracket. So right. it, it, I know there was a lot there, a lot of numbers thrown at you, but if you're going to pay mon- pay taxes on your money, wouldn't it be better to pay it at 12% if you could. So I think a good balance, a good balance of uh, pre-tax contributions and after-tax contributions is a way to go. I, I agree, Scott. And I think that that there's also another point that comes up in Bonnie's question that I wanted to just kind of editorialize for just a moment. You know, we have this, what is being called a retirement crisis in this country. And the answer that most politicians come up with is to try to come up with more avenues to save. You know, you've got the 401k, you've got the Roth 401k, you've got the IRA, you've got the uh, traditional and Roth IRA. You've got all these things, lots of places for people to put money. But what you find is that 49% of Americans are saving zero for retirement. That's a stunning number. What we have is not a crisis of the availability for places to save. What we have is an education crisis. Mm-hmm. What we have is the the motivation that is driven by financial education that encourages and motivates people to save money. And, and I think that that's why shows like this are important. Having a relationship with a financial advisor is important because all of those things work together to boost your retirement savings. You can have 10,000 places to put your money. It does not matter if you're not motivated to do it. And you've got to understand that that motivation comes from better understanding about your finances. And that's why the process that we use here at GenWealth is so important because it is education-based. And you got to make a commitment to it too, right, John? I mean, you talked about earlier with the government shutdown, not having a short, not making a short term or not making a decision based on the short term, but on the long term, you've got to be willing to let it go for the long term, because it could be very easy for someone to start this 
and see the market go down like it did last year in 2022 and go, oh, that didn't work out. Yeah, and that's what exactly what an uneducated rookie investor would do. Yeah, they, they are looking for that immediate gratification. But when you understand the dynamics of long-term investing, you understand that that is key to your financial independence. Bonnie, thanks for your question. If you have questions, you can call or text them to us at 501-381-5228. That's 501 501- 381-5228 to hear your questions answered on the Get Ready for the Future show. You can also send us an email if you'd rather do it that way. Just send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Up next, it's Megan from Little Rock. Megan says, I'm 32 and saving for a house to buy within a year or two. Is it okay to only contribute 15% to retirement while I save for the house, or should I be more around 25%? I already have $200,000 in my retirement accounts because I got started early and had a killer employer match at my first job. Thanks, Megan. Boy, you are off and running if you're 32 and you got $200,000 saved for retirement and you're still going to be able to save for a house if she backs down to 20 uh, to 15% on the retirement savings. Yeah, let's let's take a look at something uh, that is uh, what I call the magic of compound interest. It is actually technically called the rule of 72. It's a very simple rule. It's one of the first things that I ever learned, Scott, in the investment business. I wasn't even in the investment business when I learned this. I was like, this is amazing. I got to figure out how to tell everybody about this. But here is the rule of 72. What the rule does is it estimates the number of years required for invested money to double at a given annual rate of return. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with future contributions for for Megan. So yeah. just set that aside. We're not really talking about this. We're talking about, as you can see on the graphic, if you're watching online, we, we're starting with someone who is 32 years old that has $200,000. If we consider that Megan is going to get an estimated 8% rate of return. Now let's go to school here. That 8% rate of return is not going to happen every year and it doesn't have to happen. But what you have to think about is what the average is over that time. And Scott, historically, the S&P 500 has done at least 8% rate of return long term uh, for as long as you want to go back and look at it. Yeah, and rarely does it actually get 8%. We've done pieces on that before. That 8% annual rate of return has been made up of plus 22s and negative 18s all along the way. So you have to know that. Yeah, so we're talking about an average here. So if you consider that 8% rate of return, then you just simply take 72 and divide it by the rate of return, 8%, and what you get is a nine-year doubling period. So 72 divided by 8 equals 9, and so that doubles every nine years. So here's what, how that actually plays out. Megan is 32 right now. She has $200,000 in her investment account. Uh, on an average rate of return of 8%, she'll have somewhere around $400,000 when she's 41. By the time she's 50, she'll have in the neighborhood of $800,000. By the time she's 59, she'll have 1.6 million because 800 times 2 is 1.6 million. And by the time she's 68, by the time she can, you know, begin to think about Social Security and things of that nature at full retirement age, she's got over $3 million in her investment account. So I would say that she's in pretty safe territory to not quit saving into her 401k, but it is certainly easy for her to back off and go down to 15% 
and save that money for the house. A little bit of a, a caution here. Let me Can we put the graphic back up there, Casey, real quick? And I wish I had uh, a telestrator to do this, because if you think about when most people retire, it's going to be between that 59 and 68-year frame, right? So somewhere in there is Megan's retirement, and she's going to land somewhere between 1.6 and 3.2 if she doesn't even contribute a future dollar. And I think it can be really easy for someone to look at that, John, and go, Oh my gosh, that's way more than I'm going to need for retirement. Well, let's look at this though. She's 32. Yes, 1.6 to 3.2 is a fantastic range if you're retiring in 2023. You're going to be just fine more than likely. But you think about the compound uh, compound interest that happens to her investments, the, the inflation factor there too. It's not going to likely be 8%, but you're going to need, Megan is going to need, and anybody that's age 32 today is going to need more to retire than someone who is retiring today. Yeah, that is very true, Scott. And that is one of the things that I think I'm a little bit concerned about when I look at the activity of investors these days. A lot of people are are really fleeing, since interest rates have gone up, a lot of people are really fleeing to uh, certificates of deposit, very safe, conservative investments because mm-hmm. they don't really know what the future is going to hold, and I'm just going to park it in a CD over here. Mm-hmm. That is not a long-term play for financial independence. As a matter of fact, you are robbing yourself of the opportunity for financial independence. As Scott just pointed out, inflation is going to march on. You've got to have something in your portfolio that is going to help you to stay ahead of inflation. Historically, the only two things that have done that is real estate and equities, meaning investments in the stock market. Now, Scott, I understand stock market investments are are scary things right now to people, as volatile as the market has been the last couple of years. But you have to understand the dynamic of this and that, the number one, equities are the only thing that are going to get you to a level of financial independence. And secondly, you have to understand that there are some risk mitigation measures that you can take on equities. It's not on or off. I have to be in a CD or I'm taking all the risk of being in equities. There is some risk mitigation that you can do if you're working with an advisor who can help you to understand that. So I, I really think that that you know when you take a look at somebody like Megan, there's a lot of instruction that can come from this. One other thing that I would mention, Scott, is that Megan doesn't need to overdo it yeah. on the house yeah. just because she's got the wind at her back right now. Yeah, I think the best thing here is to create a plan. And, and I would even say a retirement plan at age 32. Now, now that sounds crazy, right? Well, it's probably going to get changed several times over the next couple of decades, but I think it's very important that Megan tell uh, a financial advisor, when do you plan to retire? You know, where along that 59 to 68 time frame are you going to land? Where are you going to end up with your assets if you back off from 25% to 15% of your income? Because those are arbitrary numbers right. that don't really tell us much. It's a great rule of thumb. And if you're not doing anything, yeah, that, that's a great goal to get to 15%. But that would allow her to know, okay, if I continue to put 15% of my income towards retirement, and I have $200,000, and I can assume uh, an average stock market rate of return over the next three decades by 62, here's where I'll be and what that retirement income would look like, then that can allow her to know the rest can go to save for a down payment on a house. Well, and even to accelerate the payment on that house and and, and be debt-free by the time you get to retirement without question, but certainly to try to accelerate the payment and get debt-free even sooner because then you can just save like crazy uh, to get to retirement even earlier. So 
Uh, congratulations to Megan. $200,000 in a retirement yeah. account at 32. Amazing. Don't let up on what you're doing. Just be smart about it and be sure to stick with some of the principles that we talked about today, particularly that power of compound interest. This is our question of the week. Congratulations to Megan and thanks for reaching out with your question. We would love to send you a free Get Ready for the Future Show Tumblr for being the question of the week. You can see those tumblers right here. By Look the way. at this. We're, I we're got. I, I had to jawbone my way into getting one of these, <laughs> but I actually have one today. So yes. that's great. They're both on the set. We'll give you one that we haven't uh, consumed any beverage out of. So you'll get a new Get Ready for the Future Show tumbler for being the question of the week, Megan. Just email us. Email it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Say, I want to claim my tumbler uh, and give us a good idea of where to send that to you. All right, next up on the program, it's Mike from Cabot. Mike writes, what if you are just starting out or starting your retirement plan at age 53? I make a decent income, and I do at least have emergency savings, but there isn't much beyond that. Is it too late for me? No, Mike, it's not. It is never too late. Now, it's possible that retirement may not be exactly what you have envisioned or dreamed for your lifetime that it will be because you're starting late, but it is never too late to improve upon your situation. You're absolutely right about that, Scott. And I think that, that the number one thing that you've got to think about is what do you need to get there? Let's, uh, you've got to do the work. You've got to do the math. And, and I understand that there is a psychological barrier to sitting down and dealing with this because you do think it's too late. But you need to, first of all, work with an advisor that's willing to work with you and tell you the truth about what the numbers look like. If you know the truth, then the truth will set you free. And so I think in, in Mike's case, you need to clearly understand what's before you and then make some decisions about, okay, well, maybe my retirement doesn't need to be at this level. Maybe it needs to be a little bit lower. Maybe I can do some adjustments. I need to think about the impact of Social Security and all of that type of thing. But I think the first thing that, that I would say to Mike is that you might want to consider a side gig. There's a lot of opportunity to set money aside on a pre-tax basis if you have a sideline income because in a number of things scott we have done this for people that have retired and now are working as a consultant and they have set up defined benefit plans that they can throw a chunk of money into that will save them hundreds of thousands of dollars over the time in their retirement as far as taxes are concerned but then there's things that are very easy like a a sep program that a side gig could fund for you and you can put a lot of money in an SEP program and help you to move forward. I think you also have to think about catch-up contributions. And also, I think that when you sit down with an advisor and have that conversation, Mike, the first thing that you need to really get a handle on is what income are you really going to need in retirement? Yeah. Because there's all these things of people in their mind, they think, "Well, oh, I want to retire, so I need this big income." You need to, first of all, think about what is your required income, and that's where we start here at Genwell. Yeah, I think it's important. I would ask Mike, too, you know, what what has been the cause for you to be starting pretty much at ground zero at age 53? Was it, was it a divorce or a catastrophe of medical bills or something that derailed what you were previously doing? Or has it been that you haven't had or felt like you haven't had the income uh, or the margin between your income and expenses to put into those retirement dollars because those things need to get fixed first, right? We got to rearrange them some things. Is it debt? Uh, do you have too much debt? We got to clear that out so that you can have that margin. But if, to John's point, if 
if the decent income is there, like he says in his question there, uh, and there is some margin already available, there are great opportunities to start sending money into uh, retirement plans. And I would say, too, at age 53, you're really not that far behind. Honestly, you may have to talk about delaying your retirement, right? I mean, if, you're, if your idea was to retire at 62 or 65 and we can put a plan together that shows you that's probably going to be tight. But if we continue to, or if we start throwing money into retirement savings plans, get it invested, let give it a longer time period to grow uh, in market-related uh, investments, then maybe seventy is a, yeah. is is a good-looking retirement, right? That's that's the process of planning. Is it may maybe not exactly what you wanted, but it can show you that it is in range. Absolutely, and Scott, I think there's two other pieces of advice that I would I would give Mike in this case. I think number one, I think you have to prioritize what's important to you. If legacy is something that you're interested in, meaning leaving some money to someone else and you're starting late, that legacy may have to wait. The legacy has to take a backseat to provision of your retirement income throughout your lifetime. And there are some financial products that can produce a higher income level to you in retirement if legacy is not important. So that might be something that you want to take a look at. Our job here is not to recommend a product to yep. you, Mike, but but that it, just having the awareness that that is out there helps you to understand what's going on there. Here's another one that's probably a, a pretty big swerve, but let's talk about it. You know, if you go to work somewhere at this stage of the game at age 53 that has a pension, and pensions are fairly few and far between in the private sector, so it may be a government sector job that you're looking at, but pensions are paid out based on your salary and your age, not necessarily how much money you've put into the program. And so people that start in their 50s can have a pretty nice pension by the time they get to be 65 or 70 years old. Now there's some vesting and years of service and things of that nature that go into that, but that might be worth exploring that if there is an opportunity to go to work somewhere that has a pension, that could be a saving grace for somebody like Mike from Cabot who feels like he's starting late but needs to do the work that's necessary to know exactly where he is. Yeah, because honestly, we've talked about it many times on this show, retirement is not an asset problem, it is an income problem. So if you can find a way to get guaranteed income sources in place like that, if you can add a pension to your Social Security check, that's going to help solve that income problem. And the assets that you have, the investable money, uh, that you grow over time, that's going to be for discretionary income. So you think about needing guaranteed income to cover your required income uh, in retirement because you don't want the money you need to pay the bills and keep your uh, house afloat, keep your basic lifestyle going subject to market volatility. What you do want is to be able to create an investment strategy for the discretionary income that gets stacked on top of your required income and grow it over time so that you can get raises in retirement. So wherever Mike is starting from, it's not too late to start layering in those pieces of his retirement income uh, and build a plan either at 53 or at 32, like we had a moment ago. That's right. It's always a great time to begin the planning process. Scott, let me take the opportunity to encourage Mike to go to our website, getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash steps, S-T-E-P-S. What you're going to find there, Mike, is you're going to find this document. This is a downloadable document, Securing Financial Independence, seven steps 
to building sustainable life after work. These steps are universal. It doesn't matter whether you're at 23, 33, 53. These steps are what you're shooting for in retirement. So if you go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash steps, you're going to be able to download that document and you're going to understand some of the things that we've talked about here, like determining your monthly income need, maximizing your social security benefit, accounting for inflation, planning for health care, understanding and being aware of taxes, doing the math and minding the gap, all of these things in the context of creating a written plan. Uh, this is an absolutely free resource. Go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash steps, and we will email this document to you. And that goes for anybody listening, not just Mike. If you're wondering about the path to your retirement and how to get some clarity about your retirement, you're going to want this document in your hand because it's going to be your guide to doing what you need to do to secure financial independence. Thank you, Mike, for your question. If you've got a question for us, you can send it in via call or text. Just send it to 501-381-5228 or send an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com to hear your questions answered on the air. And we've got time for one more on the show today. It's from Chip in Little Rock, and he writes, Can you describe the types of investments inside a money market fund? Why are they so stable? What are the risks? We have talked about money market funds on this show more in the last couple of months than we have in the last decade, probably. They have become more attractive because of where interest rates are. John mentioned the CDs earlier. The money market fund also has a comparable interest rate right now, but there are some differences. Yeah, there are. And let's, first of all, be sure that we are being very clear on what the purpose of a money market yeah. account is and where it falls in the in the stack, if you will, of investments that you need to have, uh, whether you're headed into retirement or whatever the case may be. So a money market account is best used for short-term money, that you're going to either spend in, let's say, a year, maybe 18 months or less, or it is for your emergency savings. Bottom line, end of story, that is the useful purpose of a money market account. Uh, As I said earlier, Scott, it is not a place to put your long-term retirement money because it robs you of the opportunity to be financially independent because it does not It's not designed to keep pace with inflation. It's designed to give you a stable place to put money for the time being or for an emergency purpose that can gain some interest. And so let's lift the hood on money market accounts and let's talk about uh, exactly what's under the hood. So they invest in very low risk assets, things like treasury bonds, CDs, short term, high quality corporate bonds all of those with maturities of less than one year. So that's what makes them stable because you can pretty highly predict what's going to happen on a one year or less maturity on a treasury bond or a one year or less maturity on a corporate bond. CDs are FDIC insured. So you know what that looks like. Uh, You've got corporate bonds in there. Those are short maturity, high quality. Let's think about maybe Apple or something like that. A company that has billions of dollars of cash on their books. They're not going to default on a short-term bond, so uh, not very likely, though. Uh, short-term of future corporations are highly, uh, the future of the corporation is highly predictable, and the company's ability to pay interest on their debt is part of the thing that you look at there. 
And Scott, there's something, there's a term in our industry called the capital strength of a corporation. Yeah. So those things are, are allow that uh, money market mutual fund to keep a fixed price of $1 per share. So when you think about investing in an equity mutual fund, that price is going to change every day, right? It goes up and it goes down. Typically, the money market mutual fund is going to stay fixed at right around $1 uh, per share. It's only really been one time where that uh, during the financial crisis, one of the funds didn't do that. But that does lead us into there are risks. This is not a no risk investment. They're not FDIC insured, even though they hold FDIC insured instruments inside the fund. The fund itself is not FDIC insured. So there's no guarantee of that fixed rate. Uh, or fixed price. There's also no guarantee of that rate being fixed for very long. It's variable. It's only up around 5% right now because of where interest rates are. So when that goes down, it's likely to change. And there's opportunity risk too, because as you've already talked about, talked about it, John, this is for the short-term money in your life, either an emergency fund or money that you're going to need in the very short term. We're using it in our retirees' bucketing strategy right in the first bucket for the near-term need of distributions. Scott, one of the biggest threats to financial independence or success in investing is putting the money in the wrong bucket. Mm. Putting short-term money in the market can really mess you over because the market can go down about the time that you need the money. That's why money market accounts exist because they're not likely to go down they're likely to give you a pretty good market-based rate of return and full liquidity on that money when you need it. Be sure that you're allocating the right money to the right bucket. Chip, thanks for the question, and thanks to Mike and Bonnie and Megan as well. We love answering your questions on the Get Ready for the Future show. Our time is almost done today, though. You heard the final bell. John, it's time for our closing thoughts. We'll start with you. Scott, I think that if you take a look at all of the questions that we've gotten on the show today, it really is all about education. You cannot do anything if you don't understand the path that you're walking. And oftentimes, you know, you don't have time to be fully educated yourself on a financial matter or your big plan for retirement. What you need is to borrow that smarts. Mm -hmm. You need to borrow that knowledge from a financial advisor and work with that financial advisor working in unison with a financial advisor toward your common goal, using the understanding that he has, but applying it to your situation. Uh, one of the biggest problems that I see in our industry is people trying to fit square pegs and round holes when they come to a financial advisor. Maybe a financial advisor says, oh, well, you need to do this. And he says that to every client. What you've got to do is you've got to have a customized plan for your situation and be able to execute that plan toward financial independence. My final thought is uh, going to reiterate what John mentioned on one of our questions, if he can hand me that, oh, seven sure. steps to financial independence. I want to make sure to show that to the video side. Seven steps to financial independence available to you by texting the word STEPS to 501-381-5228 or visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash STEPS or email show at getreadyforthefuture.com. That is going to do it for today's Get Ready for the Future show. Reminder, if you do have a question, get them into us, 501-381-5228. You can leave a voicemail, you can text it, or send us an email, show at getreadyforthefuture.com to get your questions answered next week on the show. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. 
If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.